3M offers a broad portfolio of innovative tools that can help you protect every IV catheter from insertion to removal. From hand hygiene, skin preps, and barrier films to securement devices, transparent dressings, and disinfecting caps, our evidence-based products can help you deliver compassionate care, protect patient and clinician safety, help prevent the risks of costly complications, and improve patient satisfaction. Visit 3M.com slash IVCare to learn more. You have arrived at episode eight, season two of the I Save That podcast. This is the Vessel Health and Preservation Enhanced Edition episode. Uh, I'm Ramsey Nazarala, joined by Director of Clinical Education, Judy Thompson. And Hello. Java Editor-in-Chief, Eric Sager. Hello. Hello. Hey, guys. This is we an are... exciting episode. I'm very excited for this episode. We've been talking about this episode for, for months because we were so excited to get to the point where we could record this episode. And we are now here because the Vessel Health and Preservation book that's been enhanced into an experience uh, by mostly by you, Eric, is now available on Apple iBooks and on Amazon.com, which I think is a, a mom and pop online bookstore. I, I've, I've never used it, but I've heard good things. Eric. I've also heard good things. Yes. Well, <laughs> you're the one who, who published this, this enhanced edition up there. Can you talk a little bit about what the difference is between the Vessel Health and Preservation book that is an open source text that's been available for a few weeks and what Ava has put together with it? So a lot of the, the main difference is the open source version that you mentioned, Ramsey, is just a bunch of blocks of text. It's just walls and walls of text, a lot of words. And then in the like enhanced a book, edition, a regular yeah, book, a regular yes. book, a, a textbook. And in the enhanced edition, what we've put together are interviews with a lot of the subject matter experts and the authors of each chapter. So for example, we have an interview at the beginning of the chapter about asepsis with at t with Stephen Rowley and Simon Clare, the authors of that chapter. That was a fun yes. talk, wasn't it? It was. It was. Those guys are great. They're going to be on the podcast. They are going yeah. to be on the podcast and they're coming to Ava at our conference. And and when you crack open the enhanced edition of the Vessel Health and Preservation book, when you get to that chapter before you read it, that segment that you'll hear on the podcast later this summer pops up so you can hear the authors, the subject matter experts on ANTT talking about the chapter, the philosophy of no touch technique, um, and then also have the textbook, the text that comes with the regular book. So this is quite an experience versus what you normally get with a with an academic textbook. The audio files that come with that actually add a lot more than you would think. They they add their concepts, just like you said, really their philosophies, but it really brings the concepts home and it makes them come alive much more than just reading words on a piece of paper. So mm -hmm. I'm, I'm super excited about the way that this has been put together and what the readers are, or the the people that are going to take in this information are going to get out of it. This is, I, I can tell that you're excited, Judy, because philosophically, this totally overlaps with what you first told me when I came to Ava about <laughs> what you believed education should be. Um, can you talk a little bit about your philosophy with how education should be delivered and also received? Education has to be fun. Education is not in, should not be an arduous task. We should be entertained um, yeah, we have to learn things, but there's ways to learn and have fun at the same time. So that's what I'm excited about. Reading a textbook is work, unless you're reading, you know, J.K. Rowling, and that's a little different. But <laughs> I love reading J.K. Rowling. Oh, me too. Me too. But that's the it, difference. That is entertaining. Right. So education. It, education needs to be entertaining. If we her books were read... turned into movies too. And this, this, exactly. This book exactly. has been turned into podcasts. Right. So if we really want our people, the folks that are reading this information to really take it and, and embed it in their brain and really understand it, it's got to be fun. They've got to want, want to learn it and want to learn more of it. And I think that's really what some of the different things that you brought into this flip book or these books, Eric, like the GIFs and the mm -hmm. audio files and some more high def pictures. I think that's right. really what changes it. Yeah, we forgot to mention the GIFs before. 
there are all kinds of gifs in there. I mean, there's one of a, a pediatric patient getting prepped for a pick insertion. There's a dilator. I mean, there's there's all kind of stuff just kind of littered throughout the enhanced edition. It's it's been a labor of love, but it's been fun to put together. You're, you're reading about flushing and you're watching flushing. It's 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 illustrating. It's it's happening right in front of you, in the, on your iPad, on your Kindle, whatever you're reading it on. Um, you can see what you're reading. It's it's not just words on a page. One of the great things about this this resource is it's digital, and for ten dollars you can gift this to folks that you work with, other folks that are just getting into the specialty, or maybe even your boss that doesn't know anything about our specialty and you'd wish they did. So there's so many opportunities with this, this product. So mm -hmm. um, go check out Amazon, go check out Apple books, spend $10, support your association. And also let's uh, make patient care better. And we should say now that, that the open source text for vessel health and preservation would not be possible without several people, notably Nancy Moreau and Nancy Trick. Uh, Nancy, the Nancys, as they're called, uh, really created this initiative and, and, and pulled together all these subject matter experts to write the book. And then once the book was written, it was made possible as an open source text by Teleflex and by Nancy Trick, who made a donation in, in her husband's uh, memory, and also 3M, who is also sponsoring this podcast. And coming up after the break, we will sit down and chat with the Nancys who Ramsey just mentioned, Nancy Trick and Nancy Moreau, about this whole concept of the Vessel in Preservation textbook. So it'll be a preview of this enhanced edition that we've been discussing that is available on Amazon Bookstore as well as Apple iBooks. And we will talk to them right after the break. Every IV site presents the potential for infection, dislodgement, skin damage, and other complications. These complications can potentially cause patient discomfort and pain, extended hospital stays, additional therapy and surgical intervention, even increased patient mortality. As your trusted partner in protecting patients, 3M shares your goal of sustaining zero bloodstream infections, and 3M wants to do everything in its power to help you achieve it. 3M believes there are three keys to achieving this goal, people, standards, and technology. It's an effort that requires exacting standards of care, a commitment from the care team to methodically adhere to those standards, and technology that adds an additional layer of antimicrobial protection. 3M Science offers a broad portfolio of innovative tools that can help you protect every IV catheter, from insertion to removal. From hand hygiene, skin preps, and barrier films, to securement devices, transparent dressings, and disinfecting caps, 3M's evidence-based products can help you deliver compassionate care, protect patient and clinician safety, help prevent the risks of costly complications, and improve patient satisfaction. To learn more, visit 3M.com slash IVCare. Today, we're kicking off our Vessel Health Preservation Series on the I Save That podcast, which will continue throughout the year. And this programming uh, comes from the Vessel Health and Preservation textbook that is being endorsed by AVA, that's available through uh, through AVA. It's being endorsed by a whole global consortium of different associations and, and thought leaders and key opinion leaders. And today, we are kicking off that series by talking to the two ladies who are behind its creation. Dr. Nancy Moreau is an internationally recognized speaker and expert in the field of peripherally inserted central catheters and vascular access practice. She's in her fourth decade of nursing and is both the owner and CEO of Pick Excellence she is also an adjunct associate professor at Griffith University in Brisbane and does great work with the good people at the Avatar Group, who are frequent guests of the podcast. Uh, Nancy has won Ava's highest honor, the Suzanne Herbst Award for Professional Excellence in Vascular Access, and she is joined by her co-editor, Nancy Trick, who has practiced critical care nursing management, infusion therapy, and clinical vascular access education for 40 years. She implemented the first Michigan hospital-based PIC team in 1989 while serving as a clinical specialist. A 1,200-bed hospital-based nutrition support service. She is a wealth of knowledge, experience, and leadership, and we have both of them on today to talk about vessel health and preservation. Nancy Moreau, Nancy Trick, congratulations, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Ramsey. Glad to be Thanks here. so much. Glad to be here. Good morning, so, Nancy. This is Judy Thompson. 
Good to see hear you today. Hi, this is Ken Symington from not so sunny Florida. I'm sitting next to Ramsey. Both both Nancy's to to uh, cur the current president of Ava, a past president and director of clinical education, and uh, also the the Ava the Java editor in chief Eric Sager uh, behind the glass uh, for for this discussion today. Let let's start with with how this started. Uh, Nancy Moreau, you had started to talk before we started recording about just the genesis of vessel health and preservation. Was this something that you know launched like a like a rocket, like came together really quickly? Were there some hurdles? Tell us about the story behind vessel health and preservation. Well, the story behind it starts with Nancy Trick and um, Matt Beretti and the idea, the inception of wanting to have a pathway or a process towards best practice. Nancy Trick, I, I think that you can introduce the vessel health and preservation subject better than anyone. Well, thank you, Nancy. Nancy Ann Moreau from Nancy Lee Trick. Uh, one of our, our many tags is that we are the Nancys. Let me just say that it was a pleasure to uh, engage with Nancy Moreau and thinking back on the evolution of the process and where we are today. About 12 years ago, um, vessel health and preservation was basically an unknown topic in the field of infusion therapy and vascular access management. And through a series of events with Teleflex, we came to the conclusion that we needed to uh, be in a position to look at practice and encourage evidence-based practice from all the particulars of patients coming into the hospital all the way through discharge and, and essentially at the end of their therapy, whatever that might be, whether continuing it at home or in some cases, stopping it altogether. Leadership of Teleflex saw the value in this and uh, empowered me to bring Nancy Moreau on as a consultant. And together we took our combined vision of what this could be and brought together a series of activities where we invited other thought leaders and practicing clinicians to test different theories and gather evidence, and then began to form the model of what is today vessel health and preservation. And so it, it actually took multiple years its final creation comes from around the world, and it's used uh, beyond belief um, in areas of Europe that we never even envisioned. So that's how it got started and how we began our journey to where we are today. Well, and just to add a little bit, Nancy Trick talked about you know the process that we used um, through the application of what is now known as the Plan, Do, Study, Act, we looked at the problems that were associated with vascular access with administration of infusion therapy within acute care and even within other uh, outpatient and other facilities and tried to determine the best way to apply trigger tools or algorithms or processes that would promote and it was quite an arduous process. We spent many years testing different models, testing different forms and applications, working with our clinicians to identify those key issues and then trying to find solutions. And what finally came of it was a model that went through admission of the patient through discharge, applying the concepts of assessment and selection of the best device, insertion of that device with a qualified inserter, management of the device during the treatment period, along with daily assessment, and then evaluation of the process at the end when the patient is discharged. And through these four quadrants, we were able to apply the best practices, the guidelines, the recommendations, and integrate them into the entire pathway model. Having said that, Nancy, one of my um, observations during this, this process is that in many cases of the four-quadrant model, when we gathered our, our clinical experts and thought leaders, many of them were doing selective um, application of various components of each quadrant. And so while they understood that best practice was necessary, they, they didn't always 
see it beyond the here and now of what am I going to do at this moment to get this patient access. And so a large part of what we did as a group was extrapolate the various practices and then backfill it into a model like the quadrant, understanding that education around the individual practices was key to becoming a centralized model for vessel health and preservation. And, well, absolutely. And, yeah, yeah. So Consistency um, was so important to us. I mean, we were looking at trying to find ways to help clinicians establish competency and then apply a consistent practice. And, and that's where the forms and kind of the process came in to try and make sure that everyone was following the process. So I would just say that when we took this model, and as Nancy explained, the model is based on the foundation of education and evidence-based practice. And as we took this model out and presented the four different quadrants, some of what the feedback was from those who would test it as a model in their area of practice, they recognized that they were doing selective pieces. However, the model itself was foreign to them. And so part of the success was helping potential end users of this model understand that it, we were not asking them to change their, the dynamic of delivering care in the, in, in the way of what they were inserting into patients, but to truly apply a model from an assessment piece through the day-to-day -day evaluation and the assessment of, of how these patients were being managed. And so we see a, a basic model of care, which in some cases was task-oriented, and over time, transitioning to a four-quadrant model based on education that was inclusive of the tasks, but considered the requirement for evidence-based assessment, insertion practices based on, on the best person for um, delivering the care, inclusive of insertion and maintenance, and then looking at how these products and practices patients were managed. And then how do you establish what to evaluate in terms of um, success as we would describe it? Is it getting the device in or is it completing therapy while we mitigate the risks of successful infusion therapy? And so part of the change process was to explain the difference between the individual components and application of a four-quadrant model. You and your team have gone from a concept or theory to now a full-blown manual, a book. How did that process happen? Well, there's been a lot of interest in vessel health and preservation since the very beginning. The problem was that everyone wanted to just take the forms and run with them and um, apply everything all at the same time. And it's a process. This is a foundational concept that has to be applied in stages that the, the plan, do, study, act process um, takes you through, you know, working on the best approach, trying it out, studying the process, evaluating it, and then going back and starting again. And so with all the interest of vessel health and preservation, we didn't have one document that included everything. We had diagrams and posters and the publication that first came out described the process but didn't really go into a lot of detail about the components of the quadrants. And so I was contacted by um, the publisher to consider looking at putting vessel health and preservation together. And at the time I was working on my uh, PhD and the focus of my thesis was vessel health and preservation. And so we agreed to look at the, the project as I completed my thesis and try and move forward. And I was able to contact multiple authors that also showed interest in looking at the evidence-based practices and writing up the, the various ch chapters that we included within the book. And there's a lot of them. We have about 22 chapters, if I recall. 
lot of chapters and seven sections. Yeah, it uh, is comprehensive. Yeah, and that's what we wanted to do. We wanted to really cover the subject well and provide a foundation for people to apply this within their hospital. Um, because as Nancy Trick said, I mean, we feel like that this with the the foundation of education is a quality process that everyone needs to integrate within their care setting. And whether they pick and choose, whether they, you know, start at one end or the other end, it doesn't matter as long as you work through the process and continue to focus on best practices and applying the information, the concepts that are included and um, integrate all that with your educational program. Yeah, Nancy Moreau, the, the textbook has seven sections, which oh, there are 22 chapters that feed into that. We are talking to all of the authors who, who contributed to the Vessel Health and Preservation textbook, starting with, with you two today, just so our listeners can see just how comprehensive the Vessel Health and Preservation textbook is. Here are the sections. We've got Vessel Health and Preservation, which then includes the VHP model, device selection, and specialized vascular access teams, something Ava uh, enthusiastically uh, supports. Uh, then you've got uh, right insertion, which has all the different insertion tip positioning and avoiding complications during insertion, just, just the, the whole gamut of what you need to consider when putting a device into a patient. And then right infection prevention, right pediatric vessel health and preservation. So it, it also uh, addresses both the pediatric population and the adult population. Right management, so assessing catheter function, dressing adherence, just the care and maintenance component. And then it closes with right evaluation. So evaluating your vessel health and preservation program, staff education and evaluation. So the evaluation of products and compliance measures, I mean, there is, you've answered every question, including questions that many people who, who pick up this book aren't going to realize that they had. So true, Thank so you. true. And I remember back many years ago, and I think it was shortly after this was published, um, just kind of in the chart form, that Jack Ledun mentioned this, and he, he mentioned the holy grail of vascular access, which is a pretty high compliment. So, oh, well, thanks. Didn't know that. He did. He did. And I believe he did it on stage. Do you remember that, Nancy Trick? I do remember that. And Jack has had several aha moments in his quest to improve vascular access care and management. And uh, one, of the, one of the beautiful things about this model, I believe, is that it acknowledges the current practice and challenges end users to keep growing. And so Jack embraces that and promotes it always as he's educating. He does. He used to, um, along with, it was the Nancy's and also the Crick and Trick. Uh, so <laughs> I, I don't want to neglect Laura Crick because I think she played a part not in writing this, but she was certainly, certainly a, a huge advocate to make sure that this happened. Oh, we book. absolutely agree. I mean, Laura Trick and Mac, Matt Beretti were the driving forces to make sure that, that we had the resources and support that we needed to get this done. And, and even after the project closed, they have been very supportive. Um, Teleflex has released all this information so that it can be made available with free access. And so compliments to Teleflex as well as to Laura and Matt on, on the legacy that they have left. Absolutely. And to you too, for having taking the time, the passion and your practice to get this done. This is a huge, it's a monumental asset for vascular access. You just don't know. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. <laughs> Even as an outsider looking in, I'm odd, but I cannot believe I can't even imagine the time and, and gray hairs that this would bring out for me. So thank you. Well, and I, I guess um, even as comprehensive as this is, um, there is other information that's also available. The thesis that I wrote for Griffith University is also open access. It looks like that that, that thesis is also going to be available in published form. And so people can get it through a number of different venues to get, you know, additional information on the subjects. But the great thing about this book is that we attempted to cover each subject 
in its entirety. We attempted to really cover the quadrants and explain them and integrate the forms into each of the subject areas. And so the, the appendix at the end, as well as um, the images and graphics that were included in each of the chapters should guide the readers into full application in these various areas. This is a wonderful asset and I can't thank you two enough. I do have one last question before we let you go. What's next? Do you have a, a sequel on this one? Well, <laughs> we still have, oh, um, the Journal of Vascular Access, the JVA Part 2. We wrote right. and published um, Part 1 on vessel health and preservation. And while there have been a few publications on vessel health and preservation from the UK and in the British Journal of Nursing, we owe the JVA Part 2. And so I feel like I've been neglecting them and need to complete that part of the checklist. Fair enough. This is Ken, uh, right. Nancy Moreau, Nancy Trick, I have a question for each of you. It's the same question. And that is, what was the most surprising moment in the whole process of delivering this beautiful project? Well, I'll, I'll, I, I will, I'll start out, you know, from the, from the inception phase. The surprising part was the complexity of a final product and going back to a simple request from a marketing group at Teleflex for an algorithm. And the, the initial request was for an algorithm related to looking at what type of devices were placed in patients and why. That was the original request. And when you think about the evolution and the fact that we now have not only this book, but there are multiple publications around the world. And so a simple request all the way through to um, the deliverables that we we see today. And I, for me, the message here is look farther in what you can do beyond what's asked so you can do the very best thing for your patients. That, that retrospectively is the biggest aha for me. Well, and I would agree. I mean, it was much more complex than we once envisioned. And it gave us an opportunity to really dig into the different areas that were key components of providing infusion therapy, providing you know, a vascular access that allowed treatment to continue. And so just the whole process that we thought was gonna take maybe a year has turned into life work. And you know, going back to your question about what's next, one of the future ideas is the consumer advocacy piece to this. Because this is very healthcare professional oriented, you know, Good the, point. The, average con the average consumer is unaware. And many of us have experienced this both personally as well as observing professionally the impact that it has on, on people and systems from a clinical as well as an economic impact. And so I believe part of our future will be looking at what do we do for our patients in terms of advocating, educating them and having a higher level of call to action so that people expect the right to vessel health and preservation and, and not that it's an afterthought. We've That's also fair. already discussed the second edition. I mean, as, as we worked through each of these chapters, each of the authors had more ideas. And before we were even done with the book, we were saying, well, in the next edition, we will include in the next edition, we'll include more on, on patient advocacy, as Nancy Trick was mentioning. In the next edition, we'll provide more details on the insertion process. And uh, there's just, there were so many areas that we felt like that we had to move to completion rather than um, to continue to add content. Scope creep yeah. happens every time. Well, you know, this reminds me of that old adage, be careful what you ask for. Uh, really <laughs> it's very true. The uh, the vessel health and preservation uh, textbook is available in a flipbook format uh, through Ava. Uh, throughout the, this season of the I Say the podcast, you'll hear from every one of the authors who contributed to the twenty two chapters from setting up your your team, vessel health and preservation, to assessing how you're doing. 
Uh, so you can look forward to that series. But that series is made possible because of this book, which is possible because of the Nancy Trick and Nancy Moreau. Thank you for joining us. Pleasure. Thanks for having Pleasure. us. Pleasure. Thanks, ladies. Thank you for your time. And we're going to take a very quick break. But upon our return, we will be speaking with Evan Alexandro and Nicholas Mifflin two of the three authors of chapter four of the Vessel Health and Preservation textbook on training and education. And now we're going to continue our exploration into the Vessel Health and Preservation book, an indispensable part of uh, your practice, of your facility, and a comprehensive uh, view and deep dive into vascular access Today, we're talking about the chapter four, which is on training and education, and we've got the authors on the, the podcast with us today. We've got Evan Alexandro, who is a senior lecturer with the School of Nursing and Midwifery at the Western Sydney University, as well as a clinical nurse consultant in the ICU at Liverpool Hospital, where he coordinates the Central Venous Access Service, which is internationally renowned for its clinical expertise in vascular access procedures. We've also got Nicholas Mifflin. Uh, he is a clinical nurse consultant for the Central Venous Access Service operated within the ICU at the same hospital. Uh, that service is internationally renowned, and both gentlemen are on with us today to talk about training and education as part of Vessel Health and Preservation. How are you guys doing tonight? G'day. How are you going? It's Evan. Yeah, g'day. Nick here, and we're doing very well. Thank you. Joined also by Judy Thompson, Director of Clinical Education, and Eric Sager, Director of Communications at AVA. Hey, guys. So glad to have you on the phone with us. Yeah, nice to um, nice to uh, chat again. Well, we're excited to talk to you today, especially a topic near and dear to my heart, the education and training chapter of this book. I'd, I'd love to hear from both of you about the importance from your viewpoint on education and training related to vascular access. Yeah, sure. Um, I think um, education and training um, is paramount for our specialty and, and credentialing because of the associated risks related to what we do. You know, when you think about uh, complications that can occur from central venous access, um, both immediate and then latent complications, it's imperative that clinicians are aware of what they're doing and how they're doing it. You know, if we just think about some of the immediate consequences of vascular access, particularly when we're accessing vessels close to the thorax and the neck where we can potentially puncture important arteries or the, uh, the lung, um, these could have deleterious uh, effects to the patient. And so certainly, you know, uh, the old adage of see one, do one, teach one, I think is something that uh, we've moved on from. And a lot, of, a lot of clinicians now, a lot of hospitals, a lot of universities have been, are employing uh, simulation-based training and credentialing prior to, you know, actual uh, patient access. So, um, you know, we, we've certainly um, taken on that, that type of process within our own um, organisation that we ensure that, you know, uh, medical staff who work within the ICU prior to actually starting night shift uh, here in the ICU, spend some time with us and we teach them and we credential them so that they are safe for um, accessing patients after hours. Yeah, I, I agree entirely. And that adage of see one, do one, teach one uh, is outdated. We know that good and proper education does re reduce complication rates. As <laughs> such, we should be doing it properly. It's, there's many components to uh, vascular access skill set. It's not just sticking in a device. And, and so the people that uh, are inserting need to be trained appropriately, they need to be deemed competent, and they need uh, the procedural volume behind them whilst being overseen by experienced uh, inserters to prevent complications and produce um, good inserters down the track. Now, you mentioned competencies and deemed competent and credentialing, which none of these are, are interchangeable, but as far as deeming a, a medical doctor competent and you guys are a nursing service uh, am i correct yes so you yes. you guys deem your physicians competent is that right yes yes great that's model correct. great model since you are the specialist yeah i mean that and that's how we're seen within the hospital um we only the other day had a, a one of our uh, senior vascular uh, vascular surgeons rather um, came to us with a complicated case. He he felt that you know he needed our input, and he said you know 
at the end of the day, you, you are the go-to guys in the hospital um, for vascular access and we need your input. That's so wonderful. Us, that's, yeah, that's great kudos coming from the vascular surgeon. That's huge kudos. So, so we, we've, um, I mean, we're probably, we were the first nurses um, in Australia and uh, to place central venous catheters. And, and um, as we all know, Tim Spencer, who now resides in the US, was one of the first nurses in the world to undertake uh, percutaneous central venous access. And, you know, the service is in 21st or 22nd year now. One of the primary reasons why we were set up in the first place was because of the fact that the intensive care unit was getting bigger. We are now arguably the, uh, the largest uh, or one of the largest intensive care units in the Southern Hemisphere. Um, we have, we have uh, up to um, 60 intensive care beds, currently working on about 40, but we, we are again expanding. And during that expansion of the service many years ago, um, we found, you know, the, the medical staff found that they didn't have the time to be able to undertake what we would what we would deem um, elective catheter placement for patients on the ward that needed chemotherapy or uh, antibiotics, and so patients would wait for quite a long time, or it would be the junior medical officer who would jump in and, and try and place one of these devices uh, with minimal supervision. And of course, that's when a lot of uh, complications would occur. And so a different model was required um, to improve patient safety within the hospital. Um, and that's when um, the nurse-led central venous access service here at Liverpool was developed. And because it was one of the first services to be developed, we were under a lot of scrutiny. We had to do, um, and all of us that have been in the service ever since, um, and I've been with the service for nearly 20 years now as well. Um, you know, we had to do a, a written exam, we had to do an oral viva, uh, and then we had to be supervised placing 20 jugular lines, 20 subclavian. This is before ultrasound on you too. You know, oh boy. 20, um, 20, yeah, 20 subclavian lines, 20 femorals, uh, and, and uh, pick lines as well. And so we were, we were, you know, we were probably some of the first clinicians of any, I guess, any type of discipline to actually be credentialed through competency assessment over a certain number of, you know, um, catheters uh, with different sites. And it was only because we were under a lot of scrutiny being nurses undertaking what was seen as a traditional um, medical role. The competency model you use now, what does that look like? Again, what we tend to do now is we've got a, we've got a, a, a competency assessment uh, sheet or uh, that we use that we assess medical staff on. But we don't, we don't go straight to that. What we tend to do first is go through, there's a, there's a theory booklet that uh, medical staff read. And once they've done, once they've done the, the theory, they then spend some time with us. We, we go through ANTT again, just to refresh. We go through you know, sterile technique and prep a patient. And then of course, we get them to scrub up with us. We access the vessel and we start to just initially get them to have a, if, this is of course, if they haven't done central venous access before, we, we then get them to um, have a feel of what a guide wire feels like to go through a needle, how to actually place a, you know, a, um, an introducer with a dilator, etc. Um, and once they're more comfortable and competent with that, we then move on to accessing the vessels with ultrasound. Um, of course, they would have, we spent some time with them using phantoms and then we scrub up with them uh, when they do their first few lines uh, with them going from, you know, from start to finish. Once they've done that, then the clock ticks on um, how many lines are required to be done. Now, with the medical staff, um, we don't actually have a certain number uh, of lines, but what we found is for ultrasound, they need to do at least 15 supervised insertions. And we found that the magic number, um, and I know it seems a lot, but we found that someone has done about 40 lines in our ICU is quite competent and is able to place, you know, a central line or a pig um, with, uh, I guess, minimal fuss, particularly because we've gone through uh, a lot of that theory and a lot of that practical uh, aspect with them. So it was like when I first went to AVAR, like I, I was originally taught by medical staff and, and yeah, as was Tim. Uh, when we when we were in the when we originally uh, set up the service, we we learned that traditional sort of method of subclavian approach and you know sort of mid, you know um, mid neck um, IJs, and then at our very first uh, AVA, we met Jack, <laughs> 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 and, 
And Jack told us about uh, low IJ approaches and telling us about micropuncture. And we were like, what? What are you talking about? And it then, you know, after seeing a few videos and, and, you know, we then got invited to go to Jack's hospital and we, it all started to sink in. And then we, you know, what we've learned going to um, conferences like um, Ava and Workover, we've learned so much that we've been able to bring back and we've implemented these, I guess, best practice bundles into our day-to-day -day work, which we now, you know, pass on to our junior medical staff. So, you know, you, we would get, um, you know, like a resident, for example, and we will go through the concepts of micropuncture, um, the concepts of the low IJ approach, or uh, looking at using the, you know, the auxiliary vein, you know, over the subclavian vein. And a lot of these young guys now, they see the benefit and they are using those techniques. Great information. Yeah, just to add to that, we quite often get uh, more senior medicos coming into our unit that experience ICU registrar. Uh, who came to see me about spending some time with us, uh, as it is uh, the policy within our unit. But uh, I did ask him how he felt about doing uh, central venous access, and his response was, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty comfortable with central lines. I've probably got a 50-50 success rate with PICS. And I said, well, okay, we need to fix that. Clearly, uh, there's something wrong there. And I think being comfortable and competent are entirely different things. I can almost guarantee that when we sit down with this this doctor, that his comfort um, is going to extend around doing traditional techniques and and not best practice. And so part of the the process here is also with regard to changing practice and and getting uh, best practice principles um, implemented with these guys that are doing more traditional techniques. And there's Next there's one. a direct impact on on vessel health and preservation. I mean, if you think about if we're if if you're accessing that, that vessel multiple times and causing trauma to that vessel, then you're going to instigate that inflammatory response and a thrombotic uh, event. Um, or if you're uh, assessing, you know, you know, what we tend to find is that many medical officers, for example, don't tend to um, assess the vein uh, or map the vein to, you know, for example, if they're doing a peak line. And so, they may, they may not necessarily see any bifurcations or a narrowing of the vessel, uh, you know, higher up into the, uh, towards the, uh, towards the axilla. And so, you know, these are the things that could potentially cause thrombosis in patients who are already um, undergoing an inflammatory response, or they may be on, hemodyna their hemodynamics may vary from hour to hour. Their volumes may vary from hour to hour. Uh, they may be on vasopressors or other drugs that can affect that can affect the diameter of the blood vessel, and these are the things that we need we we try and discuss with the medical guys. Vineet Chopra a few years ago undertook a review that was published in the Lancet, and they found that patients um, with thick lines were two and a half times greater at, at two and a half times greater risk of developing an upper extremity DVT or DVT in total, sorry, compared to patients having uh, CVCs. And in you know, and it's a lot of the time it's because you know there's no pre-assessment undertaken. Um, you know, catheter vein ratio is really spoken about you know in medical circles, and so these are the things that we're trying to offload, I guess, our knowledge to medical officers and JMOs, junior medical officers. Uh, you know, that's the sort of stuff that we're trying to um, educate them on, so that they're aware that you know you need to be putting that right line into that right patient at the right time. I've got a couple more questions for you guys before we let you go. Nick, what were some of the surprises or what was the biggest surprise as you're researching this chapter that you came across? Not a great, great surprise, but there, there it appears to be a lack of standardization when it comes to education delivery surrounding uh, vascular access training. And hence, uh, that sort of demonstrated the importance of all the guidelines that came out of Wakova related to uh, the principles of teaching and, and using multiple, um, I suppose, teaching methods, catering to, to learning needs and, and breaking down the procedure of vascular access uh, into its finer components. So looking at specific principles of ultrasound use, looking at the, the vessel health uh, and preservation principles, um, considerations around uh, uh, cathode vessel ratio and 
and mapping blood vessels and, and doing good assessments and things like this uh, clearly um, is lacking. And I think as a result of this uh, this book, hopefully uh, we will be able to standardize things a little bit more and get people undertaking good education programs and training programs when it comes to teaching vascular access. Because we do know that more structured programs do benefit trainees in, in creating more skilled and competent practitioners and, and therefore down the track limiting complications and getting better outcomes for patients. Definitely. And Evan? Uh, not so much surprise, but uh, probably uh, something that was most highlighted. Very good. So Evan, last question for you. What, if you had one concept out of your chapter that you wanted to take home and wanted to make sure everybody embraced, what might that be? I think the, the primary thing that I, I would say is, uh, is that assessment process, that pre-assessment of the patient prior to actually undertaking uh, the procedure. And that's probably an area that we, uh, we find lacking uh, with a lot of clinicians. Uh, in terms of you know their their clinical status, their you know their activity levels, for example, all the things that you know may impact um, during the procedure and after the procedure. One of the things that um, you know that we talk about, and it's something that uh, we I heard Jack Ladon speak a couple of years ago, was the fact that you know as an inserter, you're only one percent of the life of that line, um, and so you know optimizing exit sites. You know, so that's part of that pre-assessment where, you know, you've assessed the vasculature, you, you've, you've uh, picked a site where you're going to place it, but that site may not necessarily be the most appropriate. Uh, the insertion site may not necessarily be the appropriate exit site. And so thinking about where you're going to exit that catheter to make it easier for um, management of the device um, and reduce complications. So pre-assessment, I guess, for me, was probably one of the big things. I couldn't agree with you more. I was shadowing a clinician recently and they went, this was clinician was placing a pick and they went in without doing any ultrasound assessment. And I just casually said, do you scan first? And um, got a look of almost um, arrogance and said, I don't need to. I was like, wow. Mm. <laughs> so I think, you know, there's a lot of factors to that, not only training new folks to, to love our specialty and, and practice safely and competently, but maybe some folks that have been practicing for quite a long time to know that there's more than just the poke. Yeah, I, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree with you a, guys more. A similar story of a, a young uh, doctor that we've been training for a while very keen coming in on his days off to to learn techniques and he got uh, transferred to another team and uh, was overseeing one of his seniors undertake a procedure and uh, at the same time pointing out everything that was being done not to the greatest standard <laughs> basically uh -oh. got told to shut up but, um, did he really oh gosh yeah that, it would be nice to sort of. It is nice to, to see that we can influence these these younger doctors and and that they're actually uh, making an effort to get it into their teams. I think once vascular access is widely recognised as a specialty on it in its own right, I mean we're getting there. Um, yeah, we've got a way to travel yet. We do, we do. But clinicians like you guys and a lot of other folks that are making noise, I think we're beginning to make a get a little bit of traction. Right. And, and books like this one that you contributed to that is uh, being promoted internationally and is being supported by both the Australian Vascular Access Society as well as as well as Ava, mm. uh, that helps coalesce around the idea that a vascular access specialist is not a country specific ideal in healthcare. It is a it is a universal ideal that uh, belongs everywhere where healthcare is delivered. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And and you know, a patient is a patient is a patient. You know, um, it it doesn't matter you know what country you're from um at you know vessels are vessels so um i think standardizing practice and i guess the book is really about those you know having considerations you know considering these things before you place it or when you're placing it and i think that's the that's probably one of the biggest things and that goes from peripherals right through to, to you know central venous catheters you know 
peripherals, for example, we know that you know 60 to 80 percent of them fail before end of uh, before intended you know routine replacement or um, clinical indication for removal. Um, you know, up to 30 percent of CVADs fail. So there's a, you know the, the book tends to help you know uh, promote those considerations so we can you know we can place the right device at the right time and hopefully last for that patient's hospitalisation, minimising adverse effects on the patient's vasculature. Outstanding. Well said. And you can learn more about uh, the comprehensive approach to, to vascular access through the Vessel Health and Preservation textbook. The chapter is Training and Education. The authors are Evan Alexandro and Nicholas Mifflin. Gentlemen, thank you for joining us. Thank you very much. Thanks very much. Happy summer, everyone. This is Eric Sager, AVA Director of Communications and JAVA Editor, back again with a peek into the upcoming AVA Network events scheduled for the month of July. On Thursday, July 11th, Golf Fan hosts a dinner meeting with Connie Drugenti at 6 p.m. Connie's presentation is titled, Reducing Venous Depletion with Seldinger Technique, Extended Dwell PIV. Visit the Golf Van website to register. Then on Wednesday, July 17th, AVA 2019, President-elect Lori Kazmarek leads a conversation on using data to drive outcomes and the key to personalized vascular access care. That conversation happens at WISFAN, and the event begins at 5 p.m. in Madison, Wisconsin. And finally, Dr. Jack Ledun visits DMV Van in Bethesda, Maryland on Sunday, July 28th at 1 p.m. for a discussion on VAD selection at various institutions. Be sure to register early as there is limited space available. Be sure also to visit avainfo.org calendar to stay up to date on all the network meetings happening near you. You can see the entire AVA network calendar on the AVA website at www.avainfo.org, which is also where you can join AVA or donate to the AVA Foundation. AVA is all over social media. You can follow the Association for Vascular Access on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Pinterest. Make sure you're subscribed to the I Save That podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and SoundCloud. We'd like to thank episode guests Nancy Moreau, Nancy Trick, Evan Alexandro, and Nicholas Mifflin for making time out of their busy schedules to chat with us about the Vessel Health and Preservation textbook. And as always, thank you to Dabney Coleman. The topics discussed on the I Save That podcast are purely for informational purposes. You should personally seek the guidance of clinicians before making any decisions that affect your health or the health of your patients. Listeners of this podcast are advised to do their own due diligence when it comes to making vascular access decisions. Our goal is to inform and entertain the healthcare landscape while giving you a starting point for your discussions with your own clinicians and professional advisors. By listening to this podcast, you agree that the hosts, our guests, our sponsors, and the Association for Vascular Access are not responsible for the success or failure of your health, your career, or any decision you make related to any of the information we have presented. The I Save That podcast contains segments of copyrighted music that was not specifically authorized to be used, but is protected by federal law and the Fair Use Doctrine as cited in Section 107 of the U.S. Copyright Act. If you have any specific concerns about this broadcast or our position on fair use defense, please contact us at podcast at avainfo.org. No part of this broadcast shall be reproduced, transmitted, or sold in whole or in part or in any form without prior written consent from the Association for Vascular Access.